Well, good morning. I don't normally say this, but it's cold. I spent about three years in Alaska during my high school years, and I spent some time in negative 20 and, and negative 22-ish, and that was cold. So when it gets down to, you know, 30, 25, 20, I'm like, eh, whatever. But when it gets down to the single digits, it's cold. Welcome to Harvest. I'm glad you all are here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Ryan Jackson. I'm the associate pastor here at Harvest. I oversee the worship and the youth ministries. But today, I'm filling in for Tony, and I am just super excited to, uh, to do that this morning. And I want to start off by asking a question. Do you remember when you first got the internet? Hold up your hand if you remember that. Do you remember that? Some of you are like, <laughs> some of you are like, got the internet. I was born in the, with the internet. Well, you know, a few of us, most of us, lived in a time without the internet. And if you want to know more about what that's like, see somebody who's <clears throat> years old, and they'll tell you all about it. I was about 17, and uh, I became the envy of my friends when my mom and dad went out and they purchased a brand new Acer Pentium 2, 466 megahertz. I was the envy. Yeah, that was, that was quick. And now for the first time ever, the Jackson family not only had a nice computer, but, but we hooked up to the internet via 56K modem. Awesome. The internet, how it has changed everything. You know, 20 years ago, we had to sit down at a computer that was connected to our phone, hop on the internet, and every time, every time someone ever picked up the phone, it would just kick us off. That was frustrating. Fast forward, I'm on the internet right now, technically. In fact, most people in this room are probably on the internet at this moment. We've gone from, I won't say difficult, but we've gone from a more complex access to an at your fingertips, literally at your fingertips. Last night, there was a change that needed to be made on our online setup for our services and I made that change with my thumb. Boom. What is the length, what is the reach, I should say, of the internet? I mean, it's pretty much everywhere. Maybe you could find some rural places on earth where we wouldn't have instant access, but even with some technology, I'm sure some people smarter than I could could figure out how to get access. My point is, the internet's everywhere. Its reach is everywhere, and it has changed everything that we've done. Think about that, and think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Has his reach gone everywhere? Can he reach anyone? In fact, that's the question I want to deal with this morning. The full extent of Jesus' ministry how far can Jesus reach? Who can Jesus touch? What heart can Jesus change? Is there any limit to Jesus' saving grace? 
That's what I want to look at this morning. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We'll be considering verses 1 through 32. And I want that question to be on your mind. What is the limit of Jesus' ministry? What is the extent of God's saving grace? If the internet can invade any home, and literally any person now, can the hand of Jesus reach any heart? When we come to our passage in Luke chapter 5, a lot has already happened. Our Savior's been born. He's been baptized. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He declared himself at Nazareth, and if you remember, he was rejected. And he's even done a few miracles. And by this point in his life, word is spreading about him. But we've yet to see the full extent of Jesus' ministry. We've yet to see everything that he's all about, what he's come to do, who he's come to save. And so we ask, well, who can Jesus reach? So pick it up with me in verse, actually, before we get to verse one, I want to say one more thing about Jesus. The furthest southern point that we have recorded where Jesus went was a little town called Bethany. And the furthest northern point that Jesus went is Capernaum. And if you look on a map, the distance between those two cities is 90 miles. That's the extent of Jesus' physical ministry. 90 miles. I mean, that takes what? A little over an hour to drive, depending on who's driving? It wasn't like Jesus was this rock star prophet who had gigs from Jerusalem to Rome. He stayed in one little area. And yet his impact, how widespread is it? Let's find out. So join with me in verse 1. Luke 5 verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now Gennesaret, just so you know, is an area on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's between the cities Capernaum and Magdala. So picture Jesus on the shore. He's teaching and the crowd is pressing in around him. So this is what he does. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night long and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Has anyone ever tried to give you advice? You know, one of the most uh, frustrating things is advice unlooked for. Anyone ever approached you and like, want me to show you how to do that? Yeah. No. Has anyone ever tried to give you advice when their experience is different than your own? You know what I'm saying? Think about Peter. Peter's trade was to be a fisherman. He wasn't just a weekend fisherman. You know, he, Peter wasn't a guy who went out for fun to fish. He went out to fish because if he didn't, he didn't eat. This is what he did for a living. This is what he grew up doing. Peter knows fish. 
He knows how to catch fish. He knows when to catch fish. He knows where to catch fish. Here comes this teacher. Let down your nets in the deep. Now, I read two different commentaries that said that fishing, netting, was done in the shallows, which makes sense. The fish swim up in the shallows. You throw the net. They can't really get away. And so I can just imagine, this is just Ryan Jackson's imagination. Jesus says, go throw your nets in the deep. And Peter's like, okay, if you really want to. That's not where we catch fish, but okay. Jesus gives Peter some advice. Now, to Peter's credit, he does, he does it. Verse 6. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now picture that. That is awesome. That is amazing. Do we have any fishermen in the room? I've done a little bit of fishing. Ever caught, an, caught enough fish where your boat was sinking? Okay, yeah. Neither, neither have I. Neither have I. But they're catching enough boats that two boats are fishing, are fishing, are sinking. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Simon's response is appropriate. Simon is struck with the full weight of who Jesus is. Something happens that does not happen in Peter's life. They fish in a weird spot and they catch so many fish that two boats are sinking. That's off the wall. And that tells Peter this Jesus is somebody special. And he's struck with the full weight of who Jesus is. And listen, when we are struck with the full weight of who Jesus is, we are ashamed. And rightly so. We are ashamed of our sinfulness. We are ashamed of who we are, and rightfully so. He falls down at Jesus' feet, and he declares a truth. He says, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Do you guys remember in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? People said, well, you know, you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets, you're this, that. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Who is it that speaks up? Simon Peter. Simon Peter speaks up. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's here that Simon Peter speaks up and says, depart from me, I'm unworthy. There are moments, I mean, Peter gets a bad rap sometimes because he opens his mouth at the wrong moments. But you know what? He also opens his mouth at the right moments. And this is one of them. Depart from me for I am a sinful man. But look how gracious Jesus is. He responds, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Now, in this short story, when Jesus calls not only Peter, but we had James and John here too, Jesus calls the, these disciples and we see them transform from common fishermen to followers of Jesus Christ. See, because Jesus' ministry extends to the common. We ask the question, where does Jesus' ministry extend? It extends to the common, the everyday. And that's who Peter was. He was your everyday, he was your average Joe, nine to five, 
or in his case, probably like six to eight in the afternoon, evening, working, 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 catching fish, doing his thing. Why? Because that's who he was. He's your average guy. He was trying to feed his family. He was trying to put food on the table, trying to pay the bills. Jesus' ministry extends to the average person, the common, the common man, the common woman who's living life day in, day out, trying to stay ahead, trying to pay the bills, trying to raise the kids, trying to pay off the house, whatever the deal is. And we might stop and think, yeah, that makes sense. Jesus' ministry extends to the common person. Sure, honest, hardworking people doing their best. Absolutely. That makes sense. But I think it's important for us to see because even though he's common, by his own admission, Simon Peter was sinful. Just like all commoners. And Jesus' ministry extends to the common person. But does it stop there? Does it stop there? I mean, there's a lot of uncommon people in the world, aren't there? Does it stop there? Look at verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Now, I want to point out that leprosy in the Bible, it could refer to any amount of skin disease. It wasn't necessarily the leprosy that we know of and, and, and hear about today. But this man, Luke tells us, Luke, by the way, was a physician. And he tells us this man's body was full of leprosy. So he had some kind of disease that was all over him, full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, this is interesting because Leviticus chapter 13 instructed the Israelites that leprous people were to cover their mouths and they were to stand at a distance and they were to shout unclean to keep people away so that the infection didn't spread. But this man falls down in front of Jesus and said, if you will, you can make me clean. That's interesting because later on in Luke chapter 17, there's a story of 10 lepers and they actually abide by the Leviticus rule. They actually shout at a distance to get Jesus' attention. And this man has the audacity to approach Jesus. Sick, covered with leprosy. This is the kind of person that if they approached you or I, our reaction would be one of, get back. But what does Jesus do? Verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and, what does your Bible say? Touched him. This sick, repulsive individual, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now that word immediately, that's the Greek word euthios. And it means that immediately, at once. In other words, there was no transition. I like film editing. I like transitions. You know, you wipe from one scene to another. You fade gradually from one scene to another. That, was, that didn't happen. He was sick and he was whole. Boom. That's the power of Jesus Christ. But what's even more amazing, more amazing than the miraculous healing, 
What's amazing about this, this, this story is that this sick individual was not outside of Jesus saving grace. He was not outside of Jesus ministry. He was not outside of Jesus taking the time and the energy and the effort to touch him and to change his life. The common man is not outside of Jesus' ministry. And the sick man is not outside of Jesus' ministry. Look at verse 14. And he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded you for a proof to them. Now Jesus here is referring to Leviticus chapter 14, where if a person was healed of leprosy, any kind of skin disease, he was to show himself to the priest, and the priest would offer a sacrifice, and that was the ritual to, to fully restore the person into the fellowship. It was like the sign that, was say, that, the, that the priest would give that would say, this person is complete, they are whole again, they are healed, they are welcome back into the fellowship of the community. That's kind of what Jesus is telling him to do. Go do that. Go make sure that you're welcomed back. I mean, you can see the grace and the compassion of Jesus Christ, not just heals him, but he says, go, show yourself to the priest so that everyone accepts you back. Because to know that somebody was affected by leprosy, people would have a tendency to distance themselves. And Jesus wanted this person restored fully back into the fellowship. And that's awesome. And he also said, go tell no one. But look what happens, verse 15. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. Now you can't really blame the people, can you? Word gets out that somebody has been miraculously healed, then everyone who's sick or has relatives or friends that are sick, they want them to experience healing. That's, that's natural. That's just, that's just humanity. Something happens miraculously, everyone wants a taste of it. But, verse 16, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And Jesus' fame is obviously spreading now. I mean, when you do miracles, that happens. Fame is spreading to the point that now he has to privately withdraw to pray. One commentator said this, Jesus may have wanted to avoid crowds coming after him simply in order to seek healing. Jesus came to do so much more than just heal. His ministry grows not because of his message, but because of his healing. Jesus doesn't want to just heal people. He wants to save people. So one of the reasons that he told them don't tell anybody, is because Jesus didn't want to be known as Jesus the healer. He wanted to be known as Jesus the Messiah. He wants to save people. So Jesus, we see in this two stories that we've just read, he reaches the common fisherman and he reaches the sick. And that makes sense, doesn't it? makes sense that Jesus' ministry would reach the common, hardworking person. It makes sense that Jesus would reach the person sick, the person with, with leprosy. It's, it's, it's likely the person with leprosy is sick through no fault of his own. That makes sense. Who else can Jesus reach? Verse 17. On one of those days, he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from, and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men 
were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. He could not walk. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went to the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Popular story. Anybody heard this one? Great story. Great story. One of the things I love about this story are the friends. And think about these guys, I'm assuming they're guys, that brought this paralyzed person. They couldn't get into this house because the crowds, everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. And they didn't just give up. They went to the top of the house, peeled away the tiles. I think about the owner of the house. He must have been furious. And they lowered him to get him to Jesus. I love that. Everybody wants friends like these. There's a commentator called Daryl L. Bach, and he wrote in his commentary on Luke, he wrote this about these men. What is clear is that this man's friends went to great lengths to get him before Jesus. Not only did they clear the roof, they also had to rig a way to lower him. Now think about that. That would have been scary for the paralytic guy. Rig a way to lower him. Obviously, Luke gives these details to underline their faith's persistent character. Let me read that last part. Luke gives these details to underline their faith's persistent character. Talking about the friends. Nothing is going to stop me from getting my friend to Jesus. That was their mentality. And I just have to stop and ask, what keeps us from getting our friends to Jesus? What keeps us from getting our unsaved loved ones to Jesus? Obviously not in a physical way as this story tells us, but in a very real spiritual salvific way. What stops us? What keeps us? What thwarts our ministry to those around us? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Is it excuses that was hard hitting for me but I think it's a question that needs to be asked because every single person in this room we know people I know people you know people who need Jesus Christ are we doing everything we can to metaphorically bring them to the feet of Jesus are we living our lives are we speaking our words are we praying to be the witnesses that we ought to be Nothing's going to stop me from getting my friends to Jesus. Verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now in the book of Luke, this introduces a new element in Jesus' life. Because up to this point, apart from Jesus being rejected at Nazareth, There hasn't been a whole lot of friction between Jesus and the religious leaders. Now that changes. Now that changes. And it's interesting, the motivation or the reason behind that change, the leaders, the religious leaders of that day, they're questioning who Jesus is. Look at their question again. Who is this? Who is this? Who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The whole reason, the man-centered reason why Jesus went to the cross 
but it's because the religious leaders did not like who he was. Of course, they believed him to be human, mere human. And Jesus presented himself as divine. And that was the friction, the conflict. Not the only conflict, but the human-based conflict that led him to the cross. The identity of Jesus Christ. Who is this person who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, did you catch that? When Jesus did what? Anybody with that gift? Now, if you've been married to somebody long enough, you can kind of guess where they're thinking, can't you? I mean, there are times I'm talking to my wife and I know what she's thinking based on my words simply because I've lived with her for 14 years. And some of you, if you're married, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you catch on to how somebody thinks. But I can't read her mind. She can't read my mind. What's going on here is Jesus is doing something humanly impossible. He's perceiving their thoughts. That should have been a clue. Because look what he says next. He says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Wake up call. Right there, right? The religious leaders should have been like. I mean, if you're ever thinking something about somebody else and they turn to you and go, what was that? You ought to be freaked out. But they completely missed it. Verse 23. Jesus asks an interesting question. He says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? I was struck with that question as I was reading through this and studying, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk? The reason it stuck out to me is because I can't say either one. I can't say either one to anybody. I can't say your sins are forgiven you. Now, I know the Bible does teaches us, teaches us to forgive, and that's to forgive any sin that's directed toward me. Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? And Jesus is like, 70 times seven. The, the, the interpretation is, you always forgive your brother. You always forgive your sister. That's what the family of God does. We forgive each other. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about forgiving sins done to me. I'm talking about forgiving sins done to God. I cannot forgive your sins. No human being can forgive another person's sins done to God. I can't do that. That's impossible. But what else is impossible for me is to heal a person, miraculously heal a person. He was paralyzed. He could not walk. And in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago, to take a person who could not walk and to make them walk was impossible for humanity. And in our day and age, if a person is paralyzed, even with the technology we have, we can't repair the spinal cord and we cannot allow a person to walk again. I know, I've got an uncle who's been paralyzed for about 30 years. He's still paralyzed. It's impossible for us to heal someone just as it is impossible for us to forgive another person's sins. So that question stood out to me. Which is easier to say? Which is easier to say? For me, neither one. But what's Jesus' point here? The point that he's trying to make is this. It's a harder thing to forgive a person's sins than it is to heal them. 
unless you're God. See, the Pharisees actually had the right question. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Bingo. Jesus is saying it's harder to forgive sins than it is to heal, but I can do both. What does that say about Jesus? And they missed it. Looking back at the paralytic, we see another way in which Jesus' ministry extends. Jesus' ministry extends to the helpless. Normally, a person who was paralyzed like this would be a cast-off. If you read elsewhere in Scripture, there's places like the Pool of Siloam where the cast-offs, the injured, the blind, the lame, the mute, they would go and they would just kind of hang out together because they were cast-offs. The world didn't have time for them. The fact that this man had such loyal friends is actually a unique situation. But Jesus' ministry extends to the helpless like this man. Look at verse 24. But, he's still addressing the religious leaders, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately, there's our word again, he rose up before them and picked up what he was laying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with all saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Awesome. Again, we are awed by the power of Jesus Christ to take a broken body and instantaneously heal it. And we should be awed. The response of the crowd was appropriate. And our response as we read a, a text like this should be awe and wonder over Jesus' healing power. But the more miraculous thing here is the fact that Jesus can forgive this man's sins. The more miraculous thing is that Jesus' ministry extended even to this man. This helpless person couldn't do a thing for himself. Jesus' ministry extends to the common. Jesus' ministry extends to the sick. Jesus' ministry extends to the helpless. And we might stop and think to ourselves, all that makes sense. The common, hardworking person doing their job, raising their family, whatever it is they do. Yeah, absolutely. I can see why Jesus would reach them. Even the sick person. I can understand why Jesus would have compassion on that person. The helpless person. Okay, sure. They can't do a thing for themselves. I can understand Jesus reaching out to these people. It makes sense. But is Jesus' ministry stopped there? Look at verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a, what? Tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. He 
Now, in our day and age, in the United States of America, we have people known as IRS agents that we have certain misgivings about. You may have even heard things like this. The post office now has new stamps with pictures of IRS agents. The problem is people don't know what side to spit on. <laughs> Forgive me. Let's just be let's just be real. Let's just be honest. IRS agents are just doing their job. They're doing their 9 to 5. They're crunching their numbers. They're doing what they do. It's just a job. It's what they do. We don't like them because it means more money out of our pocket. But honestly, they're just doing their job, just like you and me. The comparison between the tax collector in Jesus' day and the IRS agent isn't fair. It really isn't. Because the tax collector in Jesus' day was two things. They were thieves and they were traitors. And probably you've heard this before, but I just want to reiterate. They were thieves because they collected a lot more than they were supposed to. Rome said, you collect X amount. But you see, there, there was no accountability. There was no audit. There was no way to find out what the tax collector was actually doing. In fact, Rome didn't care what the tax collector was actually doing. So they would say, you owe X, 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 X amount. And the people had no option. Either pay it or you go to jail. So they would pay. The tax collector would give Rome what they wanted and keep the rest. So they were thieves. But they were also traitors, especially in Levi's case, because Levi was a Jew. And oppressive Rome had come conquering the Jews. And Levi went and worked for, the, for Rome. So you can see why these people were despised, hated. They didn't just make jokes about them like we do. They hated them. And there was nothing they could do. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, Levi, follow me. Now what's shocking is Levi's response. Verse 28. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Leaving the cushy job. Leaving the big paycheck. Leaving it all. Why? Because I suspect that Levi knew life was not about money. He had money. Big deal. It was not satisfying that deepest need of his soul. And here comes Jesus giving him an opportunity and saying, Levi, follow me. And he does. Jesus' ministry extends to the despised. Jesus' ministry extends to the despised per person. Verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large number, a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees, here they come again, I told you, 
Here comes the friction. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. Now, I find that funny because they didn't have the guts to go to Jesus. They came and grumbled to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, honestly, this should be a question on each of our minds. This should be a question on everybody's mind because up till now, it's made sense. Jesus' ministry extends to the common person. Okay, that makes sense. Sure, Peter admitted that he's a sinner, but he was an honest, hardworking guy just trying to put food on the table. Jesus' ministry extends to the sick. Okay, sure, Jesus had compassion. He loved the sick. He healed the sick. Jesus' ministry extends to this person, absolutely. Jesus' ministry extends to the helpless. Makes sense. But Jesus' ministry extends to the despised? Get out. Why are you eating and drinking with tax collectors? That doesn't make sense. I draw the line there. What is the extent of Jesus' ministry? How far can his hand of grace reach? Here's the answer. Verse 31. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Anybody go visit the doctor on a weekly basis just because? No. Those who are, who are well have no need of a physician. In other words, those who are saved, those who think they're righteous, they don't need me. But those who are sick, who are unrighteous, do. Because, verse 32... I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's the extent of Jesus' ministry. He's not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That is the extent of Jesus' ministry. That is the reaching arm of his grace. It's toward sinners. Jesus has come to call Sinners. Who did Jesus come to reach? He came to call sinners. He came to the common. He came to the sick. He came to the helpless. He came to the despised. Why? Because he came to call sinners. Peter said it at the beginning. Depart from me, I am a sinful man. That's the whole reason why Jesus came, because we were sinful men and women. Jesus' ministry has come. Because we are sinful. The qualification to be reachable by Jesus is to be a sinner. That's all it takes. If you're a sinner, you're qualified. And you know what? Ephesians chapter 2 actually tells us that we are born in sin. Our identity is sin. So guess what? You're all pre-qualified. Anyone get those pre-approved things in the mail? Yeah. Pre-qualified. Pre-qualified. Born in sin, lost in sin, living in sin, Jesus came to save you. The question is then, not are you a sinner? Because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The question is, do you admit that you're a sinner? There is actually a type of heart that is unreachable by Jesus Christ. And that is the heart 
that refuses to acknowledge their sinfulness. That was the heart of the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes who refused, who were depending upon their own works of righteousness for their salvation and did not see themselves in need of a Savior. That is the heart that is unreachable by Jesus. And unless that heart submits to their own sinfulness and and submits to their need for Jesus Christ, that person remains unreachable. Jesus can reach anyone so long as they are willing to admit they need him. A sinner cannot unmake his own sinfulness. Only Jesus can do that. Years ago, I was invited. I, years ago, I was uh, working at, a, at another place, and I uh, made friends with a guy who, I'll throw him into the common category if we're using these categories. And I was trying to invite him to church. And I was trying to be a witness to him. And on one occasion, I won't forget, I was inviting him to church. And he looked at me and he was just kind of joking. And he said, if I walked into a church building, it would fall on me. He was alluding to his lifestyle. He was alluding to his past. He was alluding to the sins that he had done. And he was assuming that he was unforgivable. And it kind of broke my heart, honestly. Because he's not unforgivable. If he would turn to Christ in acknowledgement of his sins, Christ would forgive him. There's no one outside of that. What about you? Perhaps you're sitting there today and you're listening to what I'm saying. And maybe you even agree, okay, yeah, we're all sinful, sure. No one's perfect. But have you ever acknowledged your sinfulness to Jesus Christ? Have you ever come to him and told him you're a sinner and you're in need of his saving grace? You can do that today. It just takes acknowledging, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I need you. Please save me. In fact, that's all it takes. Acknowledging that in your heart to Christ, that's all it takes. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you to talk to me. I'll be here after the service. We can talk. I just want to pray with you. I want to talk to you. Please come. Don't let this day slip by without coming to Jesus Christ. What about you, Christian? You know, as I was reading this, one of the things that stuck out to me about Jesus' ministry is that he went out of his way. He went out of his way to get to the sinners. We like our comfort zones. I like my comfort zones. What about stepping beyond those comfort zones to your neighbors, to your family, to your coworkers, to those around you who need a touch from Jesus Christ? I would ask you this question. What could you do this week to be that witness? How could you specifically pray for these people in your life that need you to be the hands and feet of Christ? I'm preaching to myself here as much as I'm preaching to anyone. We could all do better in our witness, getting out of our comfort zones and declaring the gospel. That's the challenge I want to leave you with. I'll close with one quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said this, I would sooner bring one sinner to Jesus Christ than unravel all the mysteries of the divine word 
for salvation is the one thing we are to live for. I challenge you to live for it this week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for showing us the extent of your ministry that no one was outside of your reaching hand, the common, the sick, the helpless, the despised. Lord, the only one who is outside of your hand is that person who refuses to acknowledge their own sin. God, may we not be that way. Lord, if there's anyone even in this room that has never confessed Jesus is Lord, their need for you, I pray that today is this day, their day. Not leaving here without getting their life right with Christ. Lord, I pray for those in here who've given their lives to you. Lord, I know they work hard to raise their families, to be your witnesses. God, would you give them extra strength this week? Would you give us opportunities to love on the people that you loved on without abandon, without prejudice? Give us the words to say. Give us the wisdom to hold back if need be. Whatever the situation calls for, everyone's circumstances in this room, it's different. And yet we're all wanting to do the same thing. I pray for each and every individual person who's striving to be your hands and feet. Be with us this week, Lord Jesus, as we go out. You're good, you're awesome, you're holy. We pray this in your awesome name.